Braves, Bulldogs, Falcons, Yellow Jackets, Hawks, Eagles. From the heart of Georgia, it's the Bill Shank Show. Hour number two, three, rather, of our broadcasts. Welcome back. I'm Bill Shanks with Russ Brown. We are at the Texas Roadhouse here on Riverside Drive and making at the shops at River Crossing. Russ and I were just perusing over the menu here. They have the cactus blossom. blossom. They have the fried pickles, twisted mozzarella. They have rattlesnake bites, tater skins, grilled scrimps, boneless Buffalo wings, cheese fries, killer ribs, Texas red chili. They have salads, hand-cut steaks, T-bone, prime rib, filet. They got roadkill. Hey, there we go. Chopped steaks smothered with sautéed onions, sautéed mushrooms, and jack cheese. Hold the mushrooms, and I'll take that. They have the fall-off-the-bone ribs. I'm telling you, folks, if you like fall-off-the-bone ribs, come to the Texas Roadhouse. They also have sirloins, grilled chicken, chicken critters. They've got herb crusted chicken, country fried chicken, chicken critters. They've got pulled pork dinner, country fried sirloin. They've got shrimp, fried catfish, great sides. They've got a great menu here at Texas Roadhouse, and we hope you'll come. Tell them you heard it on the radio here on the Superstations and on the Bill Shank Show. We would appreciate that, as always. Please tell all of our sponsors when you have any contact with them that you heard it on the radio. It always helps us for our sponsors to know people are listening. Our phone lines are open. Area code 478-646-3776. Bobby brought up some interesting points there, and the sad part is that we have to define Trey Young in light of what this team has done. A a superstar in the NBA is fair or not, Russ, I think, often defined by whether his team has success or not. Scoring points, 27 points a game or so for Trey Young, almost 10 assists, which is, I think, his highest of his career this year. Not necessarily going to define him if his team can't get over the 500 mark. So Bobby brings up the point uh, of, of, you know, what a new coach should expect coming in here who inherits Trey Young. And the sad part to me is that after the Milwaukee series, what were we thinking? Trey Young's a superstar, and Cam Reddish may be a star. John Collins should be a star. I mean, we had high expectations after what we saw that year, and now I don't know what to have from my expectations. I, yeah, I, it's, uh, you know, and, and the, I think the Trey Young thing needs to be figured out. Uh, and it may not even be a thing. I don't know. But, you know, Cam Reddish wanted out. Nate McMillan wanted out. Somebody wants John Collins out. I don't, mm-hmm. We don't know mm-hmm. who. But, you know, I saw some chatter on social media citing his stats and saying, you know, it's it, this is a guy that should be in the All-Star game every year, and he got snubbed, and, and, and a little bit of that was out there. But it really wasn't talked about much in, in the national media because the Hawks don't win. Mm-mm. You've got to win. And, and, and with ever since they've drafted Trey Young, outside of a two-month run two years ago, as you've pointed out, they've been a 500 basketball team. And they're not getting better. And um, – you know, and, and I just hope there's somebody – I hope Trey Young understands or there's somebody in his camp. Maybe they, they may not even care. But the reason you're not an all-star is because you're, you're, you're not holding up your end of the deal. You've got to lift this team, and I don't see that. I see 
you know, I think some real questions as we enter this year five need to start being asked about Trey Young. And, and maybe we'll like the answers we get, maybe we won't. But I think it's time because for a long time we talked about and treated him like he was a superstar, and for a two-month run in the playoffs he was. Yep. But, that, but it, it hasn't been consistently there. So I think it's time to start asking those questions of your star player because here's the deal. If he's not a star player you can build a championship around, it's time to start over. I'm of the opinion, Russ, that you really don't have to define a superstar. It's kind of like porn. You know it if you see it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Is it porn? Well, the, the old joke from the Supreme Court, you know it if you see it. If you see it and you think it's porn, it's probably porn. If you see an NBA player and you think he's a superstar, you better damn well know. We thought in those two months, three months, whatever, that we have a superstar. We were saying that's the first superstar since Dominique Wilkins. Quint on Twitter said, the last caller was correct. Trey is not a centerpiece. He's the best player on the Hawks, but in reality he should be the second best. He's not Jordan, Magic Bird, or or LeBron. He's Pippen, Robert Ory, McHale. He's a compliment, but the centerpiece. Thanks, guys. Um, and that's why I asked the question, all right, well, can he be paired with someone that can elevate his game to another level and allow him to reach that status that I think we have seen in glimpses? The, the, the shimmy and the, the, the things that he does when he's on a roll and he's making shots is fun when you're winning. When you're losing, it's stupid. It's just stupid. It looks stupid. And it looks college almost you got to do it if you're winning and and winning consistently and i just don't know what this team can do there are there are pieces of this team that are almost individually look good does trey young look good as a point guard yet yeah, well he's a kind of a one-sided player right he can't play defense whatsoever you've got Dejounte murray we still don't know if the jury's still out on that right well, a new coach, whether it's the Prunty guy or Quinn Snyder or whomever is the selection, be able to make that work to make us, I think, convinced that that was a trade that works. I don't know yet. I don't know. I mean, as far as I know right now, a better option might be to trade Trey Young and keep DeJounte Murray. How do we know that's not the better option? Um, you've got, obviously, a center in Clint Capella who – can be very good at times, can score 12, 13 points a game, can have that many rebounds a game. John Collins is a a much maligned player who I like a great deal. I think he's gone from a 2010 player to 14 and 7 or 13 and 7. And it may be because he sacrificed his personal stats to try to make the team better, but it's not working. DeAndre Hunter is a player that is so inconsistent defensively. He came over with a reputation for defense out of Virginia. We see it sometime, but then we don't. You know, um, Bogan Bogdanovich is a very good player sometime. If his shot's off, he's bad. Um you know, they have a Kongwu, a young player. They have A.J. Griffin, a young player. They have Jalen Johnson, a young player. They now have Sadiq Bey, who's uh, still a young player, right? they got to kind of find a role for him. There's talent here, but is it a team? Is it a team or is it just individual pieces that when put together 
don't match up well against really good teams beyond the 500 mark. And that's something that this new coach is going to have to show us one way or the other. And I don't know. I, again, I hate to be on the fence. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if I would know if I was in charge of what the answer is. Yeah, I, well, I, it's just going to take time, you know, to, to figure all that stuff out. You know, it's just because we have a tendency, and, and this is what half Jason, I think, pointed this out yesterday. Um, you have uh, that run against Milwaukee, and they never had a legit coaching search. And, I mean, and you had to name Nate McMillan the head coach. But we made a lot of assumptions about this team based off of two months. And, and if you look at the, the years around those two months, it's not very good. So, you know, whatever happens in the second half of the season, use it as evaluation. But you cannot make any definitive decisions about this team based on what happens over the next 20 games. Made that mistake two years ago. Right. So it's just like it's, – it's, and look, they may go on a run again, and that's awesome. I hope they do. It was a lot of fun. But you you got to make these decisions in the off season, and then base a lot of this stuff off of what happens next year. You know, with Trey Young, I don't I don't want to know about Trey. Well, how's he going to perform on the big stage? Great, he's going to be great. We've seen that. I want to know how Trey Young does on a Tuesday night in December. That's where the problems. Yeah, been. yeah, that's right. Uh, Dino on Twitter, Luca is a superstar. Trey, not so much. Well, I hate to say it, but it's true. It's hard to argue against that, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean <laughs> it, Luca. when you look at Luca Doncic, there's no, again, <laughs> no middle ground, no ambiguity. Most superstars, there is no ambiguity. There was always, when I was growing up, and there were players like Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, even that piece of crap that you rooted for in Detroit, little shrimp, son of a gun. There was no... No gray area. You know, you, I mean, Alex English, Adrian Dantley, great players, very good players, outstanding talents. They weren't superstars. They, they, they weren't. I think Dominic was a superstar. I, I think he, he was a superstar. I, I do believe that. But, I mean, he was a little bit on the edge because his defense was a little shaky. But, I mean, most of the time it's pretty much A or B. There's no in-between. Luca, there is no in-between. The, the Atlanta Hawks traded a superstar for a player who has yet to achieve that status yet. And I think that's what you and I were afraid of. Mm-hmm. And, to, and, again, to be honest with you, when Cam got traded, I'm like, oh, crap. That changes things. Yeah, that was really, I, th- I mean, looking back, that's kind of the first yeah. sign of, of what, <laughs> what's all led up. And, and there's not been anything positive. So And, you know, it, it's hard to get an idea of what the mindset is from Landry conference, but because it seemed to be a couple of weeks ago that, oh, we reshuffled the front office. Everything's okay now. It's fixed. And it wasn't fixed. It's not, it's, you're not going to fix it that quickly. You know, you didn't, you didn't break it in, in you know, six months. You're not going to fix it in six months. So I'm really curious to see what their uh, approach is. And, and what, again, I go back to that self-evaluation. Do they understand they're a 500 basketball team? And you, that's what you are. How do you make that better? And the best, and, and a lot of that's going to have to come from within because you don't have a lot of draft picks and you don't have a lot of wiggle room um, with, with uh, what you can do in the offseason. So. I know. It's kind of uh, an interesting spot they put themselves in. It really is. 478-646-ESPN. Let's get back to a phone call. Jeff is in gray. Hello, Jeff. What's going on, guys? 
you know what? Uh, as far as the Hawks go, yeah. I mean, uh, don't do we have to get rid of Trey and get picks? And you mentioned Jalen and AJ and Akongwa. I like that core group of young guys. Uh, I'm, you know, the, the old common denominator sort of seems to be Trey, unfortunately. Uh. Well, I, I think everybody in the NBA is always looking for a superstar. You know, they, they are. I mean, they're, they're, they're hoping that draft pick that they, they have at number 12 will be a dime in the rough and will, will be that St- Stephen Curry. Who, who was Steph? Like a number 11, I believe, or 7 or something like that. He wasn't a top three pick. You know, you're hoping that you find that leader for you. And, you know, maybe we're not being patient enough. Maybe we're – we we need to be a little bit more patient with Trey in that okay, if 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 Nate McMillan was the problem, if Lloyd Pierce was the problem, then hopefully the next guy will not be a problem. You can lead this team and bring this team together. I I didn't really like the situation that happened a couple of weeks ago when Trey didn't show up or got thrown out or whatever the heck happened on that Friday night when he was supposedly hurt. But and I didn't really like the press conference that was held the the next day or two. But uh, the guy who did the interview uh, from Channel 2 in Atlanta did say something that was true, and that is, well, you're the star. This is your team. We need to know what you did. And I don't think he wanted to take responsibility there for that situation, whereas, you know, back in the day, if it had been Magic or Michael Jordan, I think even LeBron, hell, they'd want to take responsibility for it. But Trey didn't want to talk about it, so uh, I don't know. It's just it's a real weird situation with this team, and I guess we're used to it by now. Whether it's Joe Johnson or Josh Smith or Paul Millsap, it's always something. Hey, Bill, did you watch the? Uh, well, I imagine you didn't. I did happen to catch the slam dunk contest. It's, I'm glad a G leaguer came along. I did not. Uh, I don't know if you got. Well, you didn't get to watch. It. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty sad. Yeah, oh, he he was a he was incredible. I think it's I think it should be mandatory that if you're a star in the league, you should participate in your first couple years at least. That I had a stat for you about Dominique Wilkins. That you they put a stat up the other night. The high scoring average against Michael Jordan in his career was Dominique Wilkins head to head. Twenty, like he almost was great. thirty. Points. He was a great player. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, Dominic just could put the game on his shoulders, and he did make Kevin Willis and Doc Rivers and those around him better. And uh, he was great. He he was he was a superstar. There's no question about it. And I I hate that we're sitting here wondering if Trey is, but when your team can't get over 500 and they play like they did against Charlotte, the Knicks Knicks are a good team. So there may be a little bit of an excuse for that. But that game against Charlotte two Mondays ago was pathetic. Well, yeah, it was horrible. Me and my kid almost got into a fight. I thought I was going to have to take him out. He wanted to come in there and turn the game on. I said, you're just ruining my evening. Please quit making me watch this. <laughs> hey, Jeff, you got to remember, let him know who's king in the house now. Yeah, well, uh, well I got a wife, so I guess he is. Hey, the king and the queen, and it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all have a good one, guys. I get it. All right, Jeff, thank you very much. We appreciate it. 478-646-ESPN. Greg is in Jones County and joins us. Hello, Greg. 
Greg, are you there? Hello, Greg. Not there. Okay, call back if you can. Um, so anyway, uh, I, I, I know that Mike and Macon may call us up at any moment and try to convince us that we're worrying too much or whatever, but uh, it's kind of like what we're saying about Anthony Richardson. At some point, you've got to show us something. You can have all the skills. You can have the skill set. You can have everything going in your favor. Win. Show us something. Do something. And, and you know, with a 29-30 and 30 record and a 73-73 and 73 record since your great series against the Bucks, all you've shown us for the last 146 games is you're mediocre. And, I mean, is, is that all Trey's fault? No. But it's like, well, whose fault is this? It, you know, if it, if it was Nate's, we'll find out. It, it, but, but, you know, then you ask the question, Russ, all right, well, why is this team responding to interim head coaches – we need to name Quinn Snyder as the interim head coach with a five-year contract. <laughs> I mean, you know, why, why, why – let's just say they turn around and they have a – what do they got, 21 games left? They have a 15 and – nah, that's too much. A 13 and 8 record. Okay, well, why why did you do that for an interim head coach and you couldn't do that for Nate? Was, was that all his fault? Well, then are you going to do anything in the playoffs? Well, then if you do, he's going to get traction and they'll want to keep him, and I don't think they will, but – you know, it's like we got to find out the core problem here at some point. And I, the first thing was always going to be Nate. Is Nate the issue? And now we'll at least be able to find that out. Yeah, we'll be able to find that out. That that's that's the that that's one thing I think most fans would agree on. Like th- this was step one. This was the first step. He's because that, like you said, what happened the other night that cannot happen. Um, the number two thing is. You've got to fix the dysfunction in the front office. And, and hopefully, um, I mean, I'm not too thrilled that Travis Schlink's not a part of this anymore, but that's, that's, they've moved past that. So, you know, hopefully Kyle Corver and Landry Fields and their scouting department and everybody's on the same page now. So once you get all that figured out, identify who your coach, but you've got to get this, this roster figured out. And, and here's the thing. Some of the, like, going back to what John Collins said, the I don't I don't the issue I have with what he said about you know Nate McMillan's uh, would be better for a veteran team we needed more of a developmental coach developmental coach well that's what Lloyd Pierce was I know so I know I mean what, what so we've done developmental we've done veteran what do you do now what do you do now you, you get somebody that's going to come in here and not put up with a bunch of crap and if they rub heads and there's a falling out and it turns ugly that that might not be the worst thing long term for this franchise so here's the question I'd love to ask Travis Schlink. Since he'll never answer it, I'll ask you. Is he regretful of the trade? Oh, he's got to be. I mean, just take the Hawks drama out of it. When, when you have to go send into a resume, I mean, when you have to go sit in an interview after you've submitted your resume, the first question they're going to ask him, so take us through the Trey Young for Luka Doncic trade, and what did you see in Trey that you didn't see in Luka? I don't know that there's an answer to that. I mean, I just think you go, well, yeah, I probably screwed that one up. But, hey, I can only do that. You only get – that only happens once in a career, right? So I got it out of the way. I mean, I don't – there's there's no good answer to that question. So would he still be employed by the – I mean, and look, the Mavericks are 31 and 29. It's not like with Luka they've been – they've been setting the world on fire. I think the supporting cast around Trey may be a little bit better than what's oh, sure. around him. But would he still be employed right now by the Atlanta Hawks if he had not traded Luka Doncic? 
He's got to be answer, asking I mean, himself I, that question too, doesn't if he? If you're able to put the same cast of characters around Luca that you've been able to put around Trey, I don't think there's any. I, I, I mean, I, I, I don't think there's any doubt. I, I, I'm with you. I, I'm with you. I mean, he, he's got to be regretting that move now. If, if, if he were still in place, because look, if they were winning significantly, he would not have been squeezed out of there. What, what, whatever allowed that to happen was partly benefited by the fact they weren't winning. They were not winning. They were not going to that next level of being able to win. So it's like, well, why do you do that trade? And, and also another thing I'd like to ask is kind of the same thing we were saying about Cam Reddish. When you knew you had no choice but to trade Cam Reddish, did you then gulp and say, I'm screwed? There's no way for me to win this trade now. And, and, and then I'd love to ask him, okay, well, if that's the case, then what happened between when Nate McMillan said in July of 2021 that Cam Reddish looked like Paul George and you traded him seven months later? What happened? What, 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 what was it? Was it just Cam saying he wanted out? Well, a bench player shouldn't say that he wants out and get what he wants. Mm-hmm. But yet, you traded him anyway because he was obviously a problem. So, I, I just that, and that's what's a shame to me. That that is a shame because I felt when they got heck, I was jumping for joy in the Dagger Arena when they got Cam Reddish. I thought it was a great pick, and I still think he's got talent, but he hadn't proved it. And then, you know, we were laughing at him last year because. He said he wanted out. He got traded. Then he went to New York, and he didn't play. And yet, what did Atlanta need? A wing. Mm-hmm. And after the Cam, uh, rather the Kevin Herter trade, how much better would Cam Reddish have been able to play with Cam with uh, Kevin Herter gone? He would have gotten those minutes. He would have gotten more minutes. So anyway, those I would love to ask Travis Link those questions because it would be interesting to see what he. But we'll never know. We have to speculate on our own. Four seven eight six four six ESPN. That's our number. We are here at Texas Roadhouse five twenty two on a Wednesday afternoon. We'll take a break and be back with more sports talk right after this. So at the next segment, <laughs> back on our show. Did you hear that? We'll do it the next segment. <laughs> five twenty seven here on the show. We will. Uh, uh, order something to eat the next segment. That's what I was saying. Four seven eight six four six ESPN is our number, and um, we were talking a little bit earlier about uh, if you didn't see the video, they had it. On, I think it was on AtlantaBraves.com or Atlanta Braves Twitter account. The home run that Mister Acuna had against Max Freed, and uh, Brian Sicker said that the pitch was a little rushed but he thought the clock was a little off uh you know when's there going to be clock malfunctions where there's going to be issues <laughs> where someone says there's no way that was 15 seconds or something like that. i mean again we got to kind of think about what could happen and that that could be something that would uh would be possible i, I would think but so wh- what do you think acuna's numbers are going to be this year i, I think the return um to what we, what we were accustomed to seeing before the injury, oh, do you? I think, and and now with especially with the new rules and the bigger bases, I think forty forty is a real 
possibility for sure. 2019, he had a 280 batting average, 365 OBP. 41 home runs, 37 stolen bases, 22 doubles, 2 triples, 101 RBI, 9 caught steals, and 37 steals again. 518 slugging percentage. Then in the abbreviated year of 2020, he had 14 home runs and 29 RBI and 202 plate appearances. The real sad part of what happened with Ronald Acuna was when he was hurt, he had played in 82 games, so just one game over the halfway point of the season, and he had 24 home runs, 52 runs batted in, which means he was on pace for about 30, rather, I'm sorry, 44, 43 home runs, over 40 home runs. He had 17 stolen bases, so he's on pace for about 33, 34 stolen bases, 283 betting average, 394 OBP, and then he came back, of course, last year after the torn ACL, and in the 533 plate appearances, he had only 15 home runs, only 50 RBI. Stolen bases were up to to 29. 266 batting average, not awful, but not where it had been. And then a 351 OBP, not awful, but not where it had been. So can this guy – forget about the batting average for a moment. Can this guy get an OBP close to 400? Can he be on – track for 40 home runs and like you said I mean we were talking in 2021 about a 40-40 player is he still that I mean he's kind of kind of answered that a little bit right because he showed that he didn't have that ability at least last year he was still good you don't want to complain about it he was still good but he was not the threat the plate that he had been in 2021 or 2019 so can he do that can he be that threat again yeah I I, I do I think he can because the knee having the full off season to, to recover and rehab. And, you know, and that was the thing where he talked about how he couldn't really trust the knee last year. There was inflammation. And then there's the mental part of it too, you know. And, and if you look at the numbers, what was really down last year compared to previous season was the slugging numbers. So mm-hmm. that if that power comes back, then the rest of it just takes care of itself from there. And, you know, he didn't didn't seem to have any complications from – uh, being in the Venezuelan league, you know, we'll see how he looks in the World Baseball Classic. But, I mean, so far, so good. And here's the other thing, too, that gives me a lot of confidence. If there were still issues with that knee, the Braves wouldn't let him play in the World Baseball Classic. So right, right. I think we're good to go here. That's a great point. I, and, and, look, he, he wants to play in the World Baseball Classic. He really kind of begged the Braves. The Braves didn't want him to play in the World Baseball Classic, and they they've allowed that to happen. So, I think – that is a good sign that he must be in a in a really good spot and be ready to rock and roll. I mean, you just don't see a way the Braves are going to have a tr- troubled season if he has an MVP caliber campaign. I, I, I mean, I don't think it's possible. Uh, if he's leading the way figuratively and literally <laughs> at the top of that lineup, I, I just can't see them struggling. And, I mean, there, there, it just seems to be with this roster we have on paper right now, which is all we have February 22nd, a lot of stuff would have to go wrong for this team not to be good again. Yeah. Because we've got to remember they're coming off 101 wins. That's right. They went 101 games. And, you know, offensively, if you think about a healthy Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzie Albies being here for a full season, that's going to offset the offensive production you lose from Dansby Swanson. 
But if Vaughn Grissom can play shortstop every day, his offensive production may be better than Dansby Swanson's. Sure, sure. So, uh, you know, and I think the – Maybe more consistent. That right. may be more important. Sure. And I think the catching situation is you're going to have two all-star caliber catchers fresh down the second part of the season. So that's going to be huge as well. You know you have the pitching depth. You know, and there's and there's some things in the bullpen that, you know, if the ifs in the bullpen all seem to be positive. I mean, obviously, if Rafael Iglesias falls flat on his face, then that's not good. But if Kirby Yates has a good year, if A.J. Minner's not affected by the pitch clock, I think they're set to be good. I, I, I mean, this this team has the potential to be the – and during this run, since they tore it down and rebuilt it in 2015, this has the potential to be, the, I think, the most talented team that the Braves have put out there on the field simply because Acuna and Ozzie are coming into their prime. Max Fried's established himself as an ace pitcher. Spencer Strider has emerged. You've got two studs behind the plate. Austin Riley has evolved into an MVP caliber player. Um, you know, Michael Harris, can, can he follow up what he did? I think that's a big question because he put up some insane numbers. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ma- Michael Harris is going right into the Hall of Fame if he does that consistently <laughs> for the next decade. Uh, so, you know, you got to see if there's a little sophomore slump there. Uh, but, you know, it, there's just so many things that could go right for this team. It, it's going to be hard for them not to be right there in the mix for the NL East again in September. I agree. I agree. Four seven eight six four six, espn Kirkland in Macon. Hello, Kirkland. Hey, how you guys doing today? We're doing good. Hey, awesome. Yeah, I ain't going to be too long, man. I, I just want to talk about this sad situation. Alabama. Can we get that win back, though? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think they'll allow that. It's a bad situation. It's it's uh, it's not good. It's awful. I just want to ask you guys, man, if he knew trouble, trouble was brewing and he took the gun anyway, and this happened on January the 15th and it's now February the what, 21st? Um, shouldn't he be charged also, I would think, if that's the case? Well, and, and I haven't read all the details, so I, I, I may be wrong on some of this. Russ may know more than I, but I think there was some confusion or some question about whether or not that other person was breaking the law or not in Alabama. I, and I don't know whether – there was something they yeah. were, Chuck was talking about earlier to, today. Do you know what it was? Well, I think the, the from a legal standpoint, so basically Darius Miles um, and, and along with a friend from Maryland was arrested for, for a, a murder, uh, killing Jimmy Harris. And the, 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 the question comes in from Brandon Miller. Brandon Miller went back to retrie- retrieve the firearm that was used in the murder. But it was Darius Miles' firearm. So it's not like he was giving him a gun. So that would be aiding and abetting. So from a legal standpoint, the way I understand it, I don't think they can charge him with anything. But now, how he's still playing basketball for Alabama blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's obviously Oates had to apologize yesterday for the things he said. But, I, yeah. Well, Nate Oates' take on it was basically wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, I mean, come ridiculous. on, man. That was ridiculous, and and I don't – you know what? I'm sorry. I wouldn't care what the legal ramifications are. They would not be on my basketball team right now. In no way. I mean, yeah, yeah, because, man, they, at first the reports were that um, he brought the gun to him, but now you're, you're saying that, that he went and retrieved the gun. Either way it goes, 
isn't he a team leader and he shouldn't even get involved in that type of stuff, that kind of tomfoolery right there? I mean, the mailman will still deliver even sure. with this happening. And the legend continues, Stetson Bennett. Yep. I'm sorry I had to plug that. All right, Kirkland. That's a that's all right. Always good to, to hear those words for sure. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Yeah, it's a it's a bad situation. It's just awful, awful. John in Warner Robbins joins us now. Hey, John. Hey, man. Uh, yeah, a couple things, but to take it back off that, like the irony is, why the hell is Oates reaching out to Ray Lewis? That's like that's like reaching out to Jeffrey Dahmer for a good like steak seasoning or something like that, or for, like a good steak recipe. It's just like why Ray Lewis? <laughs> Like, what the hell is Ray – Ray can't pray you out of this situation. You know, it's just another another example of Alabama's athletic programs putting winning above everything else. And, you know, the guy should be fired. Plain and simple, he should be on his ass right now. No questions asked. But, you know, it's like, what the hell is going on down there, man? I know. I, I'm with you. It's a good question, and you wonder about that. But you know what? They're right up there, and they want to win a national championship. And I think we're seeing to the extreme they'll go to allow that possibility to exist. Oh, sure. And I'm sure next we'll probably see something with Nick Saban involved in human trafficking. That'll probably be something under the rug just for the sake of winning in Alabama. But uh, so real <laughs> quick, um, my concern with uh, with Acuna this year is um, the power. Like, where's I, I know his knee was bummed last year, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, at times, it was kind of it, it was it just wasn't there flat out. I mean, he had like 15 home runs. And I think you know 119 games. I think he'll steal some more bases. He had like close to 30, I believe, 119 games. So you know that I think speed and and, and uh, everything else will be there. It's just the power which was going to concern me. Hopefully, that comes back, and I think it will. Hopefully, I'm with you because I think the threat that he is or was at the plate is half his game. I mean, you know, when he stepped in that box, you knew something was going to happen. And if he can't hit those home runs anymore for whatever reason, I don't know why the knee would not allow you to hit home runs, but if you're not that same threat, you're not the same player. So I, I, I'm with you. I desperately hope that he is uh, allowed to uh, to get back in a, in a power-hitting situation And because uh, I just think you had that spot up there at the top. It's, it could be unbelievable, and especially if they do hit Harris second, right? It's just going to be fun to watch. So I'm, I'm with you. I get that power back in your game, and then go from there. We'll be good to go. You think, if, you think that that there will be a situation, you know, with with the emergence of Michael Harris, and you know, if and big if if Vaughn Grissom consistently hits, that we see Ronald being dropped down in the lineup to provide a little more protection for for Matt Olson because I I don't like to you know have to rely on. Murphy or Travis Darno to be that out of the four hole, you know, especially if you got Riley bouncing in the three, you got to have somebody at least in the five at a minimum to protect Matt Olson. Well, I think Brian Snickers always envisioned a time where at some point Ronald Acuna would go to the middle part of the order. I, I I don't know what's going to create the need for that or what what will push him in that direction. He may be a, a little worried considering what happened a couple years ago when he did that, and he had a rush to put him back in the top of the order uh, in in uh, Arizona that time. So, yeah, yeah, I wonder about that. I mean, you, you wonder if, if we see the kind of players that DeGrissom is going to be and what Harris is going to be, if that will make it easier for them to move Acuna down. Because I think you gotta you got to think about it. Because I, I'd rather have his power than his speed. I mean, I, I think the guy's always going to be able to steal 20 bases or so. But I'm with you. Man, that, that power looked to be something that no – 
not many people in this game can duplicate, and I want that back. For sure. Bill, before I go, one last question to leave you with. You're going to run the debate. What's the lead, what's the lead this year on uh, Charlie Morton? Uh, you know, it's, I think it shouldn't be very long. If he struggles, if he shows that age and that veteranship, you know, in your opinion, you're, in Russ's opinion, what's the leash? And where do we go to find that fifth, uh, that fifth starter? Thanks, guys. Okay. Thank, thank you, John. Well, look, I, you know, they, they brought him back because of the, the analytics with the spin rate and the velocity last year. They thought it was very positive to have the numbers that he had in spite of the stretches that he had that were not very good. But he did have a stretch there uh, like, what, mid-June, second week of June to I'll have to look it up, where he was really good. He was really, really good. Now, if that's your fourth starter and you can have someone who can be really, really good, then you're in business. I don't, I don't know if I would characterize it as someone who's got a leash on them. I, I think, you know, we, we know that it's important for him to be extremely consistent, and he just wasn't consistent last year. But if they're convinced that a full year will, will get him back on track and that he will, you know, ha- after a normal offseason, he'll be kind of good to go with that, I, I think that would be a much better situation. Um, I'm looking here. He had a – a 16-game swing where he had an ERA of 3.39. He had a uh, – let's see, let me do this even even a little bit more. He had uh, – well, that's a 14-game – he had a 14-game swing. Here you go. 14-game swing, Russ, where he had a 2.84 ERA in 14 games. Okay. And, you know, he started off slow, and then in September he really struggled again. He gave up, like, in his final um, – let's see, in his final six games, he gave up a pretty good number of runs. He had an ERA of 6.23. So the front and the back of the season were not very good. The middle part where those 14 games were. We just need consistency from Charlie. If he's a consistent, decent pitcher as your number four, it can have any – I always want ERAs under four. You know, I'm just uncomfortable when they're over four and they get over four and a half. Some people still think that's okay. I don't. I still think, no, you get that damn thing under four and then let's talk, you know? <laughs> no, it's a quality start. What are you talking about? That's not a thing anymore, right? Um, <laughs> I hope not. I think I think the, 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 the leash or, or the patience level, however you want to term it, is, I think it's going to be determined by the three pitchers under him. I think it's going to be determined by Ian Anderson, Mike Soroka, and maybe Bryce Elder. And how far along are they if he starts to struggle? I think as long as Charlie goes out there and produces and keeps that ERA around four, he's going to be your four starter. They're paying him twenty some odd million dollars, so yeah. he's going to have to really suck to get bumped out of that rotation. But if two or three of those guys are performing really well and he does start to struggle, I I, I don't think they would hesitate to make a move, maybe in the second part of the season. Well, yeah, we'll have to see. I mean, I, they have a lot of uh, a lot of of options as you say behind him that could be there in case charlie struggles but i i i feel good about charlie bouncing back i i do especially not having the the pressure if you will of oh well you got to be the number one or two or three he's the number four for crying out loud so if that's your number four that's not many teams are going to have number four starting pitchers like that and the Braves haven't had that either four seven eight six four six espn we'll take a break be back with more sports talk Dylan Russ back at the Texas Roadhouse here in Macon where the dinner crowd's coming in. We appreciate you being with us here on this Wednesday. 
Just looking over an article from the Barrett Sports Media website, and they were talking more comments about Rob Manford and this new committee that Major League Baseball has put together and kind of an answer to what's going on with the Valley Sports South and Valley Sports Diamond Sports issue that is at hand that you've probably heard about where Diamond Sports Group will probably be filing for bankruptcy since they missed a payment last week to one of their largest creditors. The company owns 19 Valley Sports Regional Networks. Those networks control the local broadcast rights for 14 Major League Baseball teams. Rob Manford said, we've got to find a new model. Maybe we ought to be driving the boat what the model looks like. And that brings up a very interesting topic, Russ Brown. The National Football League is in charge of its media rights. Every game is funneled through either Fox Sports, CBS Sports, ESPN slash ABC Sports, and the streaming deal that they had last year Thursday on – Apple, is that mm-hmm. what it was on? Yeah. And so the the league itself is in charge of that, and all 32 teams receive the same amount of revenue from those television deals. The, the individual teams can have different revenue based on their stadium situations, their revenue that they receive on a weekly basis there, which would still be in place, but – the comment by Rob Manford brings to light the question, okay, if all of these teams that cry they don't have the revenue because of the television deals, if all that revenue was funneled through Major League Baseball and the Los Angeles Dodgers revenue was $250 million per year, the Atlanta Braves revenue was $100 million per year, and all that adds up to X billion of, of dollars, and then it's divided by Major League Baseball, by 30 teams, and all of the teams get the same amount of money, and your ability to have differences in your revenue stream would be based on what you do at your stadium and how you attract people to your facility, hello Braves being at an advantage, then is that going to be better for the game financially to make teams more competitive compared to now where there is a true revenue disparity it's a very interesting topic to think about isn't it it is i mean i mean basically i'll just pick on the oakland a's you've got a generation that's passed there's no a's fans being developed in oakland there's there's no interest i mean you think about the last 20 years of the national football league you could probably go find a really successful season for all 32 teams if you were to do something like that with major league baseball i think it would help the sport overall and make it more competitive and because right now, I mean, you've got – I mean, the Expos were one of the first teams that were like this, but you've got franchises even today. Maybe a Tampa Bay would be the modern version. I mean, they're basically – they do a really good job of finding young players and developing talent, and then pew, they're off to the Yankees or the Red Sox. Yeah. I mean, it's like your your own major league clubs are almost like developmental teams for the higher market teams. And if yeah. you took that equation, I think it would be better for the game. I really do. I, I would hate to think that – Rob Manford is taking leadership on a topic and actually running with it, but it it sounds like it is. The disparity in the revenue for these teams is ridiculous. 
And it's also uh, ridiculous of how some teams who do have revenue and yet do not use it toward their ball club, it would almost be a mandatory aspect, I think, of, okay, if we're going to give you X amount of our television revenue and it's going to be split between everybody, then you've got to spend it on your team, Mm -hmm. which would mean salary cap, which would mean salary floor, and that's something that you wonder if it's going to get pushback. And uh, oh, it, oh, it's going to get pushback from the players union. There's no doubt. But maybe, maybe they could uh, agree on a salary floor. That may be, and I think that's what's needed more than a salary cap. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 largest payroll. This is according to Spotrac. The largest payroll is the Mets at over three hundred four million dollars. The lowest right now is the Oakland A's at forty point nine. Mm. That, that can't be. No. You, and, and I, I mean, I, you're not going to ask the Oakland A's to spend $304 million, and I don't think you want to tell the Mets they can't. But can you force teams to spend? The league average is at right about $140 million. So, I mean, is it unrealistic to have a floor of $125 million? No, it shouldn't be. And, and, and I think if the revenue, and again, I don't know how much on average that would bring the revenue up for let's say half the teams that are not getting that kind of revenue right now would they get another 50 million dollars per year well i mean that would have to go toward payroll have to and yeah that's always been something that's been interesting to me is obviously the difference between the nfl and the major league baseball and the nba for that matter i mean yes the nba has individual rights deals uh but so much of their revenue is coming from national television NFL, all of it is. So you got you've got like somebody in the in the spectrum of Major League Baseball and NFL on the opposite end. So NBA is kind of in between, and yet you you just I, I think teams are sick of seeing other teams not be competitive and use their money to pocket. Mm-hmm. I would be, yeah, wouldn't you? Well, you know, yeah. Remember last year, Rob Manfred tried to say that the a Major League club doesn't do as well as an S&P, and, and they did the, the the average over the last 20 years, and that's just flat out not true. Right. So somebody that can afford to buy a baseball team, it's a better investment, and yeah. that's what they're making. They're making an investment. They're, yeah. they're looking at profit. They're not looking at the wins and losses. No. And that's no. not good for a sport. Nope, it's not, and it's, um, it's an interesting little thought process there. It's going to be fun to see how that kind of plays out and if we do get more discussion about that because – I'm telling you, uh, when this happens eventually, it's going to hit the fan. (laughs) People are going to be wanting their games no matter what. We're at Texas Roadhouse, and you're listening to The Bill Shanks Show.